What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All right, Drancer, new VanCast. Uh, we got to set the ground rules right here, right now. What is the dress code for the VanCast? Is it podcast chic? Is that what we're going with? Um, Roots sweatpants? <laughs> I'm in sweatpants, but I wear sweatpants at home now. You know, I, I used to work from home in a normal world, and my rule was that I'd always shower and put on jeans and, like, get dressed, and that was sort of, like, my routine, like, to signal that I was at work, and then I'd get changed at the end of the day into my, like, casual loungewear. Uh, so jeans and, like, sneakers, like Vans, became, like, my equivalent of work boots uh, by which I could pull myself up. Uh, and now in the pandemic, I, it's, anything goes. Like, I straight up, I, I wear sweatpants. I wear the same sweatpants all day, take the dog for a walk in them, go to bed. I don't all care right. anymore. And that's where okay. I'm at. Um, well, that's fair so, enough. Yeah, so we're in, I mean, in podcast terms, though, I think that qualifies as casual chic. <laughs> okay. No, I just uh, want to make sure, you know, because I'm sitting here in a tuxedo right now. I know people can't see Ooh. me, but uh, yeah, so I, I, this is, look, this is my job now. So I, you know, it's a formal affair and I like, you know, <laughs> not, true. not true at all, but uh, um. hey, let's, let's get to it. Uh, another loss to the Calgary Flames. I know that we haven't recorded since they won, so we'll give them props for Saturday. They did win, but yeah. uh, even when they're decent and I'll go that far. On Monday night, they got the start they were looking for. They got the players they want scoring goals involved. Uh, they did some good things, but at the end of the day, they can't help themselves. And they're certainly not going to win many hockey games if they turn pucks over the way that they did. And man, last night just looked so reminiscent of early games in the season that dug them this massive hole that, I don't know, seems impossible now uh, for them to climb out of. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's, it's too bad, right? Because... I actually think it's really impressive that they've found a way to halt their skid, if not in terms of results, but in terms of form. And this now sort of goes back a week, right? Like a, a week ago, the Canucks looked dead in the water. They looked like a team that just could not play defense at all, could not possess the puck at all, was going to get dramatically, drastically, brutally outshot all season long, and that this was just going to be a joyless march toward the end of the season. But, you know, in a world where they couldn't even go out, where they couldn't get any energy from blocking shots, like, everything was going against this team, and you felt like things were, you know, had a real chance to get, like, ugly to the point of being psychologically damaging. And somehow, some way, ahead of that fourth game against Toronto which they all swore was a turning point, right? Like a big moral victory, and, and I right. kind of scoffed at it. And I think we both kind of scoffed at it in this space. Um, you know, they found something. Like they found a tactical adjustment whereby their F3 is uh, playing lower, and I think that's helped them key their breakout, connect their game, as Travis Green would say. The PK's been lights out. Their best players are playing well. Thatcher Demko has stabilized things for them between the pipes. And all of a sudden, this looks like a team that at least on any given night is going to come to play and play decently well. And that matters. Like, that still matters. 
but it's just a little bit too late. Like, here's the here's the most Canucks thing ever, right? His team was awful. Like, genuinely one of the worst teams. I mean, they are one of the worst teams in hockey based on standings. But their form, they were truly one of the worst teams in hockey for the first 14 games. And in the four games since, they've outshot their opponents at 112 to 74 at 5 on 5. Unfortunately, they've been outscored 3 to 10 at 5 on 5, which kind of takes away. You know, like they finally found their form and and they can't buy a break. <laughs> which is just the most Canucks thing ever. You're right. And and so some of these guys are probably due, but like I've been charting this pretty closely. I tweeted it out after the game last night, the last 5 games now. And so you go back to the Saturday disaster in Toronto, and then they were better in the Monday game where they, you know, the two periods at least, and then the Leafs showed up. But you go back five games, one Canuck forward, one player mm. has scored, a fi- one forward has scored at five on five in the last five yeah. games. Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers did on the Saturday game against Calgary. But otherwise, you know, the power play has showed some signs of life. They get the shorthanded goal, even though it was with the goalie pulled and the numbers were kind of yep. skewed. But 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 in terms of five-on-five five goals and the run of play, it was Brock Besser on that breakaway, and then he jammed in his own rebound on, on Jacob Markstrom on whatever day they all run together. Thursday night, I suppose. You can't have a five-game stretch where your forwards produce one even-strength goal. Like, it's, first of all, it's hard to do that. But second of all, if you're a team that's in the chase mode and you think you're trying to get back on track, you've got to have some finish somehow, some way. So that's right. just, that's kind of crazy to me that five games and Besser is the only forward to have scored at even strength. And the other thing, too, and, and I don't disagree, these last four games, structure, you know, structures return to the Vancouver Canucks. And they have. They've played better. And they have outplayed their opponents and they have one win to show for it in those four games. I know. So even when they're playing better, they're not really making up ground. And, you know, credit to them for doing what they had to do to score when down last night and down a man. Like, you know, it looked like they were going to get nothing. They get a single point. It's not in the big picture going to help them a lot. But I, I think just, you know, you, you're right. They can't throw in the towel. We can sit here and declare that their season is over. There's still a hell of a lot of runway here. There's 37 games to go, so oh, they know. can't pack it in. And so I just think for their own psyche to do what they did uh, in the late stages there last night to score, you know, they can tell you that that's something to build on, whether it is or not. Yeah, and they must get they must be getting sick of telling themselves and telling us that we can build off this, right? Because sure. I mean. It not only is it dispiriting, not only has the way the club performed to this point dispiriting, not only does it seem like they don't really believe that they have the personnel in that room to overcome this, but what they need now is so massive, right? Like, it's so difficult to accomplish. If you look at teams last year, like, so sorry, let's break down. The Canucks have 38 games remaining. They need 48 points from those 38 remaining games to get to 62 which is like the playoff bubble. Like 62 is not, you're definitely invited to the dance, but you're in with a shot, right? So you need 48 points from 38 games just to have a shot, which requires at this point a 632, yeah, 632 point percentage. Only four teams in, in the NHL last season managed a, a point percentage sufficient to do that? Like, that's... And I, I'm the guessing East. they were four pretty good teams. Sorry, four teams in you, the East and two in the West. So it's St. Louis, oh, okay, Colorado, so. 
Yeah, St. Louis, Colorado, Philly, Washington, Tampa, Boston. So that you need to perform now for the rest of the season over 38 games. <laughs> like one oh, of the man. best teams in hockey. Um, and, you know, and granted, you have like, what, six left against Ottawa? So that might inflate your totals a bit. Uh, you obviously yeah, you have, also, a you also have six against left Montreal. against Montreal. Yeah, you got six left against <laughs> Toronto. Yeah, well, I'm mo- I mean, Toronto's good and all, but Tyler Toffoli eats souls. So um, I would think that they're more dreading the Montreal series. I, it's just, it's a really big ask. And it just goes to show you how far behind the eight ball the Canucks are. You know, I still think they deserve a lot of credit. If they maintain this new form in which they're genuinely controlling play and outshooting their opponents over the course of 38 games. Like, I think that will be a remarkable achievement of like effort, professionalism, coaching. Like I will say all of those guys who perform that way in a lost season in the middle of the pandemic, they love the game and they showed it. And that, and that's amazing. Um, but they still probably aren't making the playoffs at this point. Unless they do something really special. Like, we can build off this. Like, what you need to build is like a jet fuel. Like, you need to build a rocket up the standings. Because you need to perform like one of the best teams in hockey. Just to have a shot now. And I just don't see it. Like, I just don't see the results sort of catching up to a good process that has only been sustained over five games anyway. Right. And I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. Like, Last season required a 14-3 and run in the middle of the season just to get to the playoff bubble. What are the chances that you're going to replicate that two years in a row with an inferior team? Like That's the longest odds I can imagine. And yet, it came out of nowhere last year. So, you know, hang your hat. If you're the eternal optimist, hang your hat on the fact that the Canucks had a a 14-3 and bender right in the middle of the season. But this is a compressed season. Uh, I think... They've shown kind of who they are. I'm with you that I'll give them some credit for, and the coaching staff, for finding a way to get oh, yeah. to this group to tighten some things up. Because you're right, before this last four-game stretch, I mean, it just looked like they were prepared to give up five on the regular, and there's no way you're going to win. And they weren't. And so at least the games look a little bit different. There is some structure there. But again, those turnovers. And I, I saw a lot of people going at Nate Schmidt. And, and I know we've talked about Nate Schmidt being better than his you know, boxcar numbers show and that, yeah, the offense hasn't been there, but defensively he's been pretty good. I mean, it is, it's tough to defend a guy on a night when he makes that decision. There have been a few this year that, you know, his mistakes have been so wildly noisy. Like I think of the, yes. you know, the fan pass to Joel Armia early in the year. Uh, there was the drop pass in Montreal that sort of handcuffed Godet, although Godet compounded the problems there. But I still maintain that Nate Schmidt has been all right for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, I was trying to defend him by saying, well, he's been their best defenseman. And then people are like, yeah, that's a pretty low bar. And it's true. (laughs) It is true. true to this point um, because we know that Quinn Hughes is a better player than he has shown, but it hasn't been a great year for him defensively. And so I was sitting there trying to pump the tires of Nate Schmidt, but man, uh, you know, Hard to get inside his head. We didn't hear from him post-game. I don't think that was him ducking the media because that's not his style. I guess he just wasn't asked to do his post-game Zoom. But, uh, you know, who knows? But uh, it's never a good play to go up the middle like that. And even worse when it has the pinball effect and it winds up in the back of your net. That was a really bad pass. And and the Bo Horvat, I was going to say, we should do some moments in the game and, and sure. just like reflect on some moments in the game. So uh, you, we started with that. We started with that, the Nate Schmidt to Dylan Dubé uh, pizza. 
I wouldn't even call that a pizza. That was more like, um, you know, when Uber Eats first started and there'd be like lunchtime couriers who had ready-made meals. There was like four options and they were ready-made in their car for even quicker delivery. Like that's what that was. That was like the Uber Eats Express of passes uh, by Nate Schmidt. Um, Okay, so we've started with a negative one. Let's go with a positive. Let's go with a positive moment in the game. Um, You know, I I liked a lot the... um, the Brock Besser game tying goal, but I especially liked the face off set that led to it. Right, you've got Bo Horvat's soft but clean win over Monahan. Uh, some really nice touches leading up to the Besser shot, and then uh, just an absolute like screen job. Chris Tanev can't block it. Jacob Markstrom can't get to it. That that was a nice moment for a team that had played really well and had no results going for them. Like they deserved a point. On so many nights this season to this point, not sorry, not on so many nights, but on like two, <laughs> certainly against the Flames in game one of this series and probably against the Leafs in game three of their series in Toronto, they probably deserved a point. Nice to see them get one. And it was a really nicely executed play. I realized now by going positive, negative, negative, positive uh, back and forth that you're always going to be negative guy. And I don't want to put you in that position. So let me go negative again. Okay, good. I appreciate that because yeah, I got a good one. The, I got one I like. Good. Um, the scuffle that results in a Canucks power play when Louis Erickson draws a late defensive zone penalty, right? Like he's in the offensive zone. Flames player hauls down Louis Erickson while Louis Erickson has the puck because that's a really high danger situation. <laughs> um, I just want to break down that shift from – the Jake Vertanen perspective, because I, I, it was wild. Like it's a du- Calgary flames dump and change. So there, and there are Yolevi and Myers are both back and Vertanen comes in to the middle and starts playing defense. He's literally against the wall. So Yolevi's behind the, behind the net. Tyler Myers is up like the, on the right side, half wall. And Vertanen is between them also on the wall behind the net. Which already, like, you're already in trouble, right? Like, the moment I see that, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is going to be a problem. And Yolevi puts it along the wall to presumably Myers, but Vertanen takes it. He takes it off his skate, and he takes three steamboats to control the puck, right? Like, it's just like, nonetheless, he has space and time. Like, the, it's, a, it's a change situation, no danger, you are fine. Absolutely has space and time to make a decent play turns it over to a four checker flame sustained pressure for 45 seconds in the Canucks end. Um, following which they take a penalty against Louis Erickson as Louis Erickson has a chance to clear. Um, Jake Vertanen then risks the drawn power play by the Canucks by getting into it with Andrew Mangiapane, who is five feet shorter and about 30 pounds lighter who promptly throws Vertanen to the ice, like very unceremoniously dumps him. Uh, the Canucks were lucky to still get the power play. I watched that and I was just like, I watched that whole sequence and I was just like, do I really have to do this for another season? Like, do we really have to do, or two maybe? Like, do we really have to watch this guy play hockey at the NHL level more? Do, do like, do I really have to do this? Um, cause it's that bad at this point. All I could think in that moment was like, if Jake really wanted to win over fans somehow, some way, like challenge Kachuk. Like, 
if there's one person in the market that this fan base likes less than Jake right now, it's Matthew Kachak. Like, I, I thought Jake had an opportunity. I don't know that there was going to be a fight in a third period of a tight hockey game, but I, I thought he had the opportunity to step in there and at the very least chat. Like, Kachak's working over anybody. I mean, that's just his MO, right? Like, he yeah. gets into those scrums and goes nuclear. And, and I thought, like, haul him out of the pile and, and challenge him. But that part didn't happen. So... Uh, I wasn't surprised, but I thought that was an opportunity for Jake. And what a trade-off. If you could have got Matthew Kachuk off the ice for five minutes, uh, that's a trade that the Canucks would take all day, any day. Although Kachuk's clearly not on his game right now. Like, No, he's not. You know, and whatever. Like, this is a Canuck podcast. I'm not going to spend too much. But he's still drawing penalties, right? Like the one thing he does he's do still, that, yeah. One, the one thing he's like, he draws the penalty that wins the game last night, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he's still he's still annoying. He basically like the, we knew <laughs> after the first period that the Canucks were going to have makeup calls coming against them. And and they were, it felt like they were all drawn by Kachuk. <laughs> it was incredible. Well, so he's doing that, but just offensively, he just doesn't look or feel all that dangerous right now. No. Uh, and this is a guy that has put up big points in his career. Uh, you know, look, the Canucks will have there will be a night I'm sure where he's heard from on the score sheet, but it hasn't happened right now. And that was part of the disappointment, I think, for the Canucks, too, last night. They just get three. You know, they get three past Markstrom, and they still have to take the loss at the end of the night. Um, one of the things I did like, I, I love the Tanner Pearson deflection. I like the oh, Queen yeah. who shot as well. Like, he saw the shooting lane, and it was wide of the net, but, you know, he still took his opportunity to, you know, thread the needle with that puck, and then Pearson with the cool deflection to, to open the scoring, and we know that the Canucks haven't fared well when they fall behind, so they got the lead, and then they added to it. And, you know, I I don't know if I called out Bo Horvat earlier on the day on Twitter, but I, I pointed out that he had just gone way too quiet. Like, you know, one goal in 10 games for the captain? Come on. And and then uh, I liked a lot of that set play on the 5-on-3. We've seen it earlier in the season, down low, quick pass, and, you know, there in the slot. So, again, at 2 nothing, you think that's the start they're looking for. You know, this is the start that they had on Saturday, but they couldn't convert their chances. And now they have two to show for it on Markstrom. And still, at the end of the night, uh, they come up a goal short. So, you know, I go back to that point that even as they're playing well right now, it shows you. Like Saturday, they have 46 shots, Tom. It shows you how hard this group has to work just to grind out a victory. And it's the only win they've got in the last eight games. Yeah. No, I know. And Yeah. Yeah, it's over. Uh, it's I just don't see how they, I just don't see how they get hot enough here. And and I I do think I do feel for them. Like I do feel for them. I also do think you know, and this is another reason why the um <laughs> ridiculousness of the vote of confidence uh, this is laid plain by the fact that if you're going to make a deal at some point, like at some point, doesn't this team need something? Like something new, right? At some point, don't you have to try something to just make sure that this isn't a, a death march the rest of the way? Um, and if if you're going to try something, like uh, if you make a trade with any team outside of Canada at this point, you're you're five, six more games away from having maybe seven from having the guy actually play for you, based with visa issues and quarantines and on and on, like. It's not even easy to give your team a shot in the arm. Like, th there's no trade deadline, either, like, either, right? Like, there is a trade deadline. There will be moves on that day. But it's worth considering, too, that teams are also going to be thinking in these two-week blocks, these two-week increments. So if you're, 
going to sell, you should probably be prepared to sell early, right? Because there's going to be we like a, as much as three week delay between the trade and the guy debuting on his new team, right? Like there's going to be these massive delays. So if you want to get full price for some of your guys from your Pearsons, from your Sutters, like you kind of need to be proactive here. But even before that, if you're if you want to just try something and and give your club, you know, your club's worked really hard for five games, right? Like, hey, you've worked really hard for five games. You've you've you know at least stop the bleeding locally. We're not getting embarrassed on a nightly basis anymore. Thank you for that. You know, we're going to go get you something, anything, just to show you like, hey, here's a little bit of belief, like keep working, you know? If you want to do that, you need to do it like in the next two days. Like you have 48 hours. And and then if you want to sell, I think again, you don't have two months till the deadline or, or six weeks. Like I would be looking at it as like, you have two weeks. If you want to get full value for a guy, if you want a team to really be like, well, and then we'll have time to impl- implement him into our team and he'll understand our symptoms, systems by the time the playoffs begin. Like you, that deal needs to happen, you know, in the first week of March, probably like you don't have time. They don't have time. And, you know, I appreciate we haven't even gotten into the vote of confidence. So I'm let's oh, transition no. into it. We but will. The, yes. um, <clears throat> but the problem with the vote of confidence is just like. The fact that you need it, needed to say it, suggests that this is a meaningful story, right? But also, do you really have the confidence to potentially have this front office make a win, not a win now deal, but like a, a, um, you know, a buoy deal, like something you throw off a boat to someone who's like struggling to swim, like a life preserver deal plus an early sale? Um, Are you willing to sell early or are you concerned with how the market looks like? Is this organization healthy and open with one another to sufficiently to the point where they can execute these kind of complicated things? Like, it doesn't feel like it, right? I don't think that's being unfair. And yet, that's what this club's facing over the next month to six weeks unless they win, you know, their next seven in a row and make the math look an awful lot less bleak. Okay, so we'll get to the vote of confidence. We have to. I know you wrote about it extensively, and and I thought you laid your thoughts out, but you and I haven't had a chance to talk about it here on the VanCast. So we'll do that in a sec, because there's a ton to unpack there. But before we do that, I mean, it, it came on the same day, it came hours before the Vancouver Canucks iced a lineup that had a fourth line of Jay Beagle between Louis Erickson and Jake Furtanen, and they used them again last night. And Tom, to their credit, on Saturday, that line was actually pretty good. I mean, the entire team was good, but it, that line was all right. But it doesn't change the fact that a fourth line in the National Hockey League in a flat cap era is costing the Canucks $11.5 million. $11.5 million for a fourth line. I know. I know. It's nuts. <laughs> like, like, there's not a lot to say. There's not a lot else to I say about it, not. right? I know. It's just, it's just like... You know, you can you can really you really can like ice a, a really good fourth line for three, three, three and a half, maybe four. Um yeah, no, it's not it's not good, J Pat. It's really not good. <laughs> it's not <laughs> It is not. No, there's, no there's, there's lots of things. There are lots of things around the Canucks that are not good right now. Uh yeah, but although although their although their form isn't one of them, right? Like the results no, are. Right. But their yeah. form, I, I'm genuinely I, look. It needs to be sustained for like six more games before I'm a believer. But I just think about how grim 
the circumstances where like I feel sometimes like I'm covering hockey at the end of the world, right? The tough local news uh, industry-wise hasn't helped that feeling. Uh, but I'll go to Rogers uh, Arena and there's like three media members watching warm-ups. You know what I mean? Like there's no one there. We're in masks. There's no fans. The team's bad. You know what I mean? It's just like, wow, what are we doing here? This is grim. And, you know, I don't feel like I've necessarily produced my best work. So to dig deep on a reeling team and find something within you, like, that matters to me. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's just a show of character, even if it's just like, hey, they're still, they still care. Like, this coach who's uh, on the last year of his deal and is a lame duck, he's still trying to win. And these players are finally competing at the level they need to and, and playing smart enough. Um, you know, that still all matters to me. It's just, you know, it's, it's just probably too little too late. All right. One last thing before the vote of confidence. And that is, I want to make an appeal. And, and you seem like a pretty reasonable guy. So I'm hoping uh, that you will take my side. Show a little pity. Uh, we, yeah. On the last episode, I, I mentioned that there was the guy that reached out and wanted the side bet. Right? That I would find full-time employment before Brandon Sutter scored again. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And also, on a recent episode, like, I, the question, it was our mailbag. And it was like, you know, who in the room, like, who do, who would you just hang out with? Who, who do you, And I said, Brandon Sutter seems like a really good guy. Like, and then Brandon Sutter just goes and puts the dagger in by scoring the very next game. <laughs> the very next game! Yeah. But he scored, in, but he scored into an empty net, Tom. Yeah, and an I think netter. right there is a loophole... That retroactively has to be closed. Well, I think so. I want to. I want to note this. I don't think the the loophole is necessarily the empty net itself, so much as the fact that when we were talking about and making that bet and declaring that in fact Brandon Sutter would go a while until he got his next goal, um, we didn't count on Louis Erickson coming back into the lineup. Like, we <laughs> didn't count true. on the empty net insurance <laughs> specialist. We didn't think Mariano Rivera himself, <laughs> yeah, the closer, was coming back into our lives to make sure that all games got closed. Um, yeah, I mean, that to me is the loophole. Like, you can't, if you get an empty net goal and Louis Erickson gets an assist on the goal, that certainly does not count. <laughs> I mean, we let's let's go with all empty netters, right? He should beat a goalie. But for me, yes, the, he the, loophole, the loophole in particular is activated by the presence of, of Louis himself. All right. Well, I'm glad you take my side on that one because it just it did feel pat It felt patently unfair that Brandon Sutter would do that to me the game after that we, you know, we talked about Brandon Sutter, by the way, five goals now on the season, all of them at home, and all of his points are goals. He's got five points, five goals, all at home, and hadn't scored since the hat trick game against Ottawa. So it had been a long while since he put a puck in the net, uh, but he did the other night. He sealed the deal. That's the Canucks' lone win in a while, and we'll see now as they see the Flames again, but this time in Calgary. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, six tweets that changed the season, or did they? Uh, They produced a win on Saturday. I'm not sure that it was cause and effect. There was talk after the game that players hadn't even heard about it. Travis Green said he had heard about it, but he hadn't read the tweets. Whatever the case, everybody knows about it. You wrote about it on Saturday, but this is the first time that you and I have recorded since then. So uh, let's just jump into the vote of confidence. The first of the six tweets from Canuck owner Francesco Aquilini read as follows. This has been a unique year for everyone. Roster changes, very little training camp, no preseason, and just a few practice days. It takes time for new players to fit in and a new group chemistry to take hold both on and off the ice. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's true for every team in hockey, right? Like, I appreciate that the tweet started with it's been a unique year for everyone because these are factors that are not unique to the Vancouver Canucks and thus wouldn't seem to explain the club's struggles, which at this point have them holding the third lowest point percentage in the NHL ahead of only clear and obvious rebuilding teams, Ottawa and Detroit. Um, So yeah, I I mean, good start. He's not wrong. There was no preseason, but very little training camp. They had 10 days of training camp. They missed one day with the little COVID scare. Uh, But otherwise, uh, they had a 10-day training camp as every other team did. So I do take a little bit of issue there. I also, also, it's like he's criticizing all the things that are the pandemic as opposed to like what if you really wanted to say like the the Canucks, us, ourselves, we have got a rougher hand than most. Like, wouldn't you point out that the Canucks have played more games than everyone else? Right. Like at the moment, as we as we record this this morning, the Canucks have played 19 games since the season opened, you know, a month and three days ago. So it's 19 games in 33 days. That's brutal. Like that's actually genuinely really tough. Like that's tough for a team to cope with. Um, No other teams played more than 17. So if you wanted to say there are unique circumstances impacting our performance, why wouldn't you point to the schedule? Like, why wouldn't you take the shot at the league? Yeah, I mean, I think he does when he says just a few practice days. I think that's his roundabout way of getting at the schedule. But, but and he's do not... it directly. Do it directly. No, I hear you. I, I, I'm i with you. Look, communication. Like, 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 I'd love to see the owner. I'd love to see the owner, instead of taking shots at the media, be like, you know, we've had a lot of unique circumstances holding our club back, like cap recapture and the schedule. <laughs> you know, like there's a way to frame this tweet where you're actually yeah. like using your, you know, stick as the owner to help your club, right? Uh, this ain't it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And messaging has been an issue for the organization top to bottom. So I, I don't know who would have seen this, if anybody, before uh, Francesco hit send. But bottom line is it is what it is. And look, the practice days thing, I, I do think that part of this last week's improvement has been just the fact that they've been able to exhale. They've been at home. Travis Green's had some practice time. And so it's probably not a coincidence that they at least have resembled more of the team that the coach wants uh, here in the last week than they had early on. But still, the schedule is what it is. It didn't sneak up on anybody. And I just didn't like very little training camp. That one didn't sit with me. And also, as you pointed out, uh, it's the same. Other than the schedule, 
Like it is the same for all these other teams. Like the Montreal Canadiens made a ton of roster turnover, including Tyler Toffoli. You've probably heard of him. Uh, he seems to have fit in and found some chemistry there. So, you know, I, I, that one doesn't necessarily wash so much. Uh, of yep. course, The second tweet is, of course I'm disappointed by our poor start, but the last thing we're going to do is panic. We've been better in recent games, and I believe we'll continue to improve. Fair. I, I mean, look, I think that's yeah. fair. For that the one's most pretty, part. Uh, except, pretty except yeah. that Except that, like, proactivity is required. If you want to throw your team a life preserver, it has to happen, like, this week. And if you want to start selling, if you're going to start selling, that also needs to happen in the next 10 to two, 10 days to two weeks. So not panicking this year does not mean what it used to, right? Like it's not a panic move to be proactive. Um, and, and if the Canucks want to be proactive in either direction, then the time is ticking quickly. So I appreciate that sentiment, but I also think it's worth noting like, this is not a usual season, right? Like, it's a unique year for everybody. And that includes a unique pressure uh, to be reactive to circumstances. If you want to if you want to bolster this team, if you want to just give them a change, give them something to believe in, that has to happen now. And if you're going to commit to selling and you want to get full value for some of the, you know, veterans you have on expiring deals, like, that needs to start, you know, <laughs> shortly thereafter. So that's the only thing that I'd note there is... is Panic doesn't mean the same thing this year as it usually would. You're not going to make a panic trade. Fine. Makes sense. But you need to be proactively exploring your options in both directions and prepared to make decisions, multiple decisions, um, you know, in the next three weeks. All right. So the third one is the one that got a ton of attention because uh, it strikes close to home for us and others. Our fans are passionate and knowledgeable. They have every right to express themselves. But when the media starts pouring gas on the fire, dealing in rumors and misinformation as if it's fact, it's time for me to speak up. I will say, I think he missed the mark. I think the time for him to speak up was after the Saturday game in Toronto, when they had been embarrassed sure. by the Leafs two in a row. And it was a Sunday, and it was sort of quiet around the team. I think they practiced in Toronto, but... That, to me, felt like the time for somebody above Travis Green, whether it was Jim Benning or the owner, to speak out at that point. Because it really looked and felt like it was completely coming off the rails then. And, yeah, they were a little bit better, but lost to the Leafs again. And then they lost to Calgary. And that's when the owner chose to speak up. I think he missed the mark by uh, probably a week. And, again, it's so vague and just sort of throwing darts at the media, you know, easy scapegoat, sort of right out of the owner handbook if you're trying to deflect and take some of the blame uh, and all that kind of stuff. Out of a worse handbook than that. <laughs> right? Is it? I mean, let's be real, right? Yeah, fake news? Yeah. Like, come on. You don't come at us with fake news. This year, especially. like, Or, or in this time. You know what I mean? Like, there's too much obfuscation from leadership in all industries and in our political world, just citing without, you know, <laughs> without any basis, fake news and false reporting and check out this alternative information that we like, right? Like tune into the Larsh cast. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but like, there's so many different alternative news sources, right? That you can live in a world where, you know, the pressure on, pressure mounting on ownership and coaches probably is false, right? Even though it's been well reported and the people leading the charge on it are, you know, guys like Elliot Friedman and Satir Shah. Uh, I mean, honestly, those two, plus the fourth period in Irfan Gaffar, 
Like, those are the guys leading the reporting on this. Um, I just, you know, those are all credible guys. Like, what, what are we talking about? Who are you taking a shot at? I just, I have no idea what they specifically are objecting to in the public record, right? And I don't like the generalized shot at media. And the last thing is, so I have to speak up. A Twitter thread's not speaking up. You want to speak up? Put yourself in an environment where you're going to take questions, period. And especially if you're going to take a shot at those practitioners who actually cover your team. That's just my view of it. Just just my sense of it. I thought that was tone deaf in the extreme. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, I've long said that I think in a market like this one with fans as passionate as Canuck fans are and fans, that, to be honest, that have lined the pockets of the Aquilini family uh, time and time again, that this ownership group owes it to the fan base on occasion. A couple of times a year, I, I know this is dream world stuff because it's not going to happen because it's never happened. Uh, but I, I still, like, I, I stick to that. I don't need an owner that is front and center every day. Uh, that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah, you don't need to be No, exactly. Jokes. But I think there are some occasions, and this one felt like one as well. Like, step up. Let's let's hear from you and take a few questions so that we can truly get to you know, where you sit on some of these issues and what you feel about the hockey club. But this is how he chooses to communicate, and so uh, take it for what it's worth. Uh, the next one was, contrary to what you may have read or heard, we're sticking to the path we're on, building on our core of young talent. Progression is not always a straight line. There's no easy fix, only patience, commitment, and hard work. So, path there. Yeah, I mean... I mean the path we're on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, didn't he... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't also didn't like didn't he before the season suggest that the team expected to make progress this year? Certainly, that's what the general manager and coach said at the opening of training yeah. camp. Right? We we're not going to take a step back here. So you know, uh, just a just a tweak in expectations. Twenty games into the season, uh, I mean, is what it is. Yeah, I guess. and you know, the core of young talent. That's fine. We'll get to that because that's the next tweet. But this is also a team. It's also a team <laughs> that a week ago dressed eight guys that were thirty-one or older, right? Like in Toronto, when they right. when when it was getting away from them, the solution was to turn to all the vets and basically plead to their professionalism to just kind of you know, batten down the hatches, if you will. So you can talk about the young core, but in the fire, in the moment, Travis Green turned to eight guys that were 31 or older, just hoping that they could sort of smooth things over for this hockey club. Yeah, well, the, sticking to the path we're on, uh, wasting the final year of yeah. two elite players' entry-level contracts, right? Like, great, cool, fun path. Yeah, and then he said, like, Besser, Pedersen, and Hughes... Hoaglander was an excellent pick. It looks like he'll be a great part of our future. Our hockey group believes Pod Colson will step right into the lineup as well. That's fine. All of those things are true, but it's also cherry picking. <laughs> like, what is the message well, to Jake Vertanen? Yeah. Like, what, honestly, if Jake Vertanen's reading that, uh, or Ole Levy, I mean, those are the, the two high picks, obviously, early in Jim's tenure. Um, you know, you just can't go. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think of like, that. You can't, you, you, can't just, <laughs> you can't just go around cherry picking the ones you like. Right. <laughs> what about it's like it's it's like um <laughs> we have a bright future we have all of these great players and also a couple of doofuses <laughs> <laughs> just like um no I, you know what Olio Levy by the way has played really well he's the last been better games, he has, and, I, and yep. I want to give him I want to give him a shout because yep. I was harsh on him uh the last podcast so uh shouts to Yolevi playing way better um the 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to, you're right. That, that part's funny, but I also just think you're always fucked when you start listing prospects. Like once you start being like, look at all the hope, look at all the lottery tickets we have. We're going to win the lottery. What are you going to do with your share of your lottery winnings? You know what I mean? It's like, and then I'd take my whole family on vacation and I'd give at least 20% to charity because I'm so generous with this fake money that I'm never going to win, but it helps me get through the day sometimes, you know, like it's just, it's just gobbledygook. And, and, you know, I did pull up that classic Mike Davis right, letter, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Where, where he shouts out, you know, our, our future is bright with, with a bunch of Yokerit's top line in the organization. <laughs> and also, and also Dane Fox. Fox. Holy, uh, holy cow, Dane Fox! How did Dane Fox? How did Dane Fox weasel into a <laughs> season ticket holder email as part of the bright future? Because he like, scored, that is, he scored like a hundred. He a scored a hundred goals one year in Erie or something, didn't he? Like, did he play with yeah. the David? Did he have? Did he have a good? Yeah, did he have a good line <laughs> I mate? So. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, I think so. I think he might have had a decent line I mate. Think so. Um, classic. What an absolute classic, Dane Fox. Dan Fox, Frank Corrado, Nicholas Jensen, Brendan Gantz. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, and Hunter Shinkarik's on the list too. Uh, but Bo Horvat is. At least, at least Bo Horvat's on that list. So that's, that's a winner. But Dane Fox, good, good God, man. All right. And then obviously it finished up with, I have full confidence in Jim, Travis, and this group. I have no plans to make changes. Hashtag we are all Canucks. And of course you can... Quibble with the wording of I have no plans to make changes because plans change often and timelines and time frames change as well. So, you know, read into that what you will, but it is the classic vote of confidence and we know how that ends for a lot of people in professional sports when they get the blessing of ownership. Yep, including including when we've seen that in this organization before, right? We saw it with Trevor Linden and yeah, I mean... Look, at the end of the day, it inspired the team to victory, right? Frank should have been the <laughs> Frankie should have been the first star in the building <laughs> on uh, on Saturday night, having inspired the boys. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, look as a, as a piece of corporate comms, do you feel like it settled the water? I feel like it's. I, I mean, I listened to some t- sports talk radio in this marketplace uh, yesterday and, and it was the subject of every show as, as you'd expect, right? There were polls being run. Um, it was still being discussed on the broadcast last night. Um, you know, I, I mean, do you think it's calmed the waters? Do you think, do you think anyone no, sort of, I think people no has changed the way they're focused I think people on, saw, I don't people think so saw it for what it was and yeah, they won on Saturday and the win, if anything, the win calmed the waters a little bit, but then, right. They were back to mistake prone Canucks and, and they That's ended up the losing right. and, sing, and single points aren't going to get them where they need you, to go. Can you imagine if they'd lost? On Saturday? Could you imagine if they'd lost actually after that letter had dropped, after that vote of confidence? Like, yikes. Yeah, that, would not, that wouldn't have been a good look on them. So uh, they, they got the one oh. win, but again, it, it's one win and eight. Oh. Like, it is what it is. And, and so... You were right back to, you know, they, they just got to string a whole bunch of wins together and they don't look like a team that's capable of doing that with the mistakes that they are making. The the thing, I guess, like that sort of doesn't sit well with me in all of this right now. And I go back to that Sunday after the Saturday loss in Toronto. And I don't think it's been fair to Travis Green. First of all, you know, the instability from the top down with the no contract extension. Uh, he's been put in a tough spot. We've talked about that 
to death, but it still exists because he doesn't have a contract extension. But he's had to be the frontline guy yeah. day in, day out, twice on game days, after the morning skate, again post-game, trying to explain away what's going on and what's going wrong. And, you know, he's done that. And, yeah. and you can tell he's frustrated some nights and some nights he's trying to pump the, the group up and all that kind of stuff. And that comes with the territory, being a coach in the National Hockey League. Tom, Jim Benning met the media on the first day of training camp, sat at a table alongside Travis on Zoom. The only other time, tomorrow night will be the 20th game of the season, the only other time we've heard from the general manager on the record in any form as his team has spiraled away is to Coos, and we know how that went. And yeah, I mean, I haven't put in the ass though, and I haven't been. I get that, but I, I think, I think Jim could have taken a page out of the classic GM handbook on that Sunday and said, "Forget players and coach. Like, you know, I'm going to take one for the team here today. I'll answer some questions about why things aren't going well." But you know, I, I also get that it didn't go well when he did speak to to Coos on the Toffoli thing. But just because he had a misstep and misspoke and it didn't go well. Like, he can't shy away. Like, part of his duty is speaking to the media and speaking to the fans through the media. For and sure. 20 games in, like, we haven't heard from him since the first day of training camp. And, you know, now there's one less outlet in town that is going to be poking around and trying to get comments from him. And so, I, I don't know. Like, I'll be really curious to see the next time we hear from the general manager because nobody has... Like, Travis has tried to explain away some of the issues, but even when Jim spoke to Coos that day for the province article, it was about Toffoli and what went down in free agency. It was about Jake Vertanen and his season, but it really wasn't about the team and sort of the overall issues that have plagued this group and why it hasn't worked when Jim himself said, you know, he doesn't see this group taking a step back. Like that was his quote on that first day of training camp. And so again, in a Canadian market, I think at some point here, sooner rather than later, I think, we need to hear from the general manager. Yeah, you're right. We do. We do for sure. Especially as he's got the full backing of ownership, at least in word, if not in action. Yes. Right? And and you're right. Like the way that you just framed what what Green's going through right now, um, that's that's really interesting to me. And I haven't sort of put it into that perspective. But to put that all together and then, you know, there's so many coaches who seeking political cover with a season going off the rails, just do the, do the boring, like play the guy they gave me, you know what I mean? Like Holtby would be starting cause he's the guy who makes more, you know, they just play the lineup that was built for them as opposed to scraping and clawing and trying to find anything else that'll work. And one thing I've really liked about Green's season to this point, um, and, and it'll turn into like a, something that I really admire if they can sustain this new sort of controlling play at five on five form. But one thing I've really liked is he's just like, he's kept clawing. He's kept trying to come up with answers. Like he's kept changing things up, uh, to try and find something that'll click, something that'll work. And, and it does kind of look like maybe he's found something over the last week. Um, might be a little bit too late, uh, for it to really matter in terms of getting this club back into the playoff picture, but it's still admirable and and i think it's why you know there's going to be demand in this guy even if this canuck season turns out to be the disappointment that it certainly looks likely uh to end up as yeah and i thought it was important uh or i thought it was interesting certainly that wyatt included that tweet out of seattle yesterday where you know the kraken are saying they may wait until this season is over which I, I, again kind of blows my mind but they're this far into it now that they may want to 
assess who among the current coaches is available. I mean, it doesn't take too much to connect some dots. I know Rod Brindamore uh, and Ron Francis certainly has a history in Carolina, and I think Brindamore is in the same boat uh, there. So, you know, that's a, a possibility as well. But how can you ignore uh, a guy that's working just up the road, that has connections throughout the Pacific Northwest, having played in the state of Washington? Like, imagine being able to sell that uh, to, you know, a, a first-year team and yep. a fan base, a guy that played in Spokane and coached in Portland and all the kind of things. So uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but when I saw that tweet yesterday, I was like, man, like uh, until one of two things happens, until Travis Green gets an extension here or the Kraken hire a head coach, like that storyline isn't going away. No. Well, and you know, more than anything, doesn't the Kraken plan to wait until after the season um, sort of pour a little bit of cold water on the Gerard Gallant thing? Yeah. Like he's just yeah. there. He's just totally. there. If you were going to be like, we're going to do the Vegas thing again, yeah. isn't he your guy? Should have been. You know, if you're going to wait. Yeah, should have been months ago, you'd think. Yeah. And, and we all know the Brindamore Francis connection, yep. right? So that one looms large too. But um, certainly there's two guys, uh, maybe more, maybe Rick Tockett too out there, who uh, who would have to be appealing to a, to a team in Seattle's position. And, and, you know, whether it's Seattle or someone else, like there's a lot of teams that are, that are going to have interest. And I think we're seeing that right now. Like, we're seeing that right now as this team manages to keep things, you know, on the rails, professional. In fact, they're playing their best hockey right now, even though the season's grim and restrictions are mounting in terms of what players can do and where they can go. Um, it's good work. It's good work by a good dude and a good coach anyway. And uh, I, you know, you, you wonder if um, among the missteps that this organization made this offseason... <clears throat> If, you know, not extending Travis, not finding a way to get that deal done, and um, certainly whatever happens with Hughes and Pedersen, like, you know, we, we might not be done here in terms of fallout from how Canucks ownership and the organization as a whole decided to approach uh, this last Canucks offseason. I heard and read they're sticking to the plan. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. great. How's, how's that working? Canucks fans are yeah, pumped. How's that working for you? Uh, sticking to the plan. Sticking. We're sticking to the plan that's seen us make the playoffs twice in the last seven years. Um, it's like Canucks fans like take my money. <laughs> where, where do I sign? That up? just that feels like another meme. Another meme of a banner that'll go to the roof of Rogers uh, Arena. Sticking to the plan. Twenty twenty one. Yep. Well, there is one steak that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it uh, sirloin a lot. It's uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And a drink. Meatballs. Very good, sir. All right, it's that time. Let's finish up strong with uh, a quick check of uh, the goal bet because uh, there have been a few goals here scored lately, but not uh, not as many as the Canucks would have liked. But again, they got three on Markstrom. You got to make that count, and they get a single point. Uh, that's all they have to show for it. But uh, Brock Besser has been a terrific story. I, I know that there's two ends of the ice, and he's been on the ice for too many goals against, along with uh, that entire lotto line and Quinn Hughes, but he is getting the job done at the other end. Uh, he's a goal scorer, and he's scoring goals. He looks like he's having fun doing it again. And for him to be at 11 uh, before the 20-game mark is uh, incredible, really. Pretty awesome. Yeah, and you know, again, 16 last year in a COVID-shortened and injury season. So, you know, it wasn't a full 82 games, but still, he was on stuck on 16, and here he is at 11 right now. So, good on him, and, and who knows where it goes from here. 
I, I don't like the fact that you had him pegged for one more than I did. You had him at 21 and I am at 20. I think we're both probably going to be low on that. But uh, if he goes past that number, then uh, that's not good news for me because uh, you'll be closer than I was. So I don't like that. But uh, I am, I'm yeah. happy for Brock. I'm, I'm glad that it's going well for him. And yeah, me too. you talked about that play. Like I just off, you know, posted in. Just I like the shot. The fact that he's picking his spots and, and finding them. I mentioned Tanner Pearson and his deflection. That's five for Pearson now. Uh, we had both expected that there was going to be a significant drop from the 21 that he scored last season. And I mean, I, I think there ultimately will be, but, uh, he's at five now. I had him down for 12. You had him at 11. So, you know, we're probably in the range, right? Yep. In range for sure. I think we're, I don't think anyone's going to win this, uh, the steak bet. No one's going to win a cut of meat <laughs> off of Pan- Tanner Pearson's. No. Um, goal totals here. Niels Hoaglander, though, you had him down for more yes. than I did, right? Yeah. And what's he at now? Uh, three, isn't he? Three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I, th- I think he's going to pick it up, though. Like, last night, he had, what, eight shot attempts? Missed, missed, just just missed on a couple. Five shots on kid goal. Crossbar uh, the other kid night. Kid looks yeah. dangerous. Kid looks, yeah. yeah, kid looks dangerous. Kid looks special. I think I'm going to be under on that one. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about it. And by special, by the way, I mean, like, a good middle six forward. Like, I don't mean, I want this market to get carried away with this. Like people are in my mentions. Like, is he a, is he a Calder candidate? No. It's like, yeah, he definitely is, but he's not Kaprizov, right? Like this is not Hughes, Pedersen, Besser. This is a different thing. Um, but he's still really good. And that's great. And people should be very excited to have, you know, an interesting play driving supporting piece at the age of 20 on this roster. It's just like, you know, the, the the prospect conveyor belt, the rookie of the year conveyor belt in this market, like we, we need to we need to cool the jets on that. I say having um, heated them up so hard last season. I'm with you. Like there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a really good rookie who isn't one of the finalists for rookie of the year. Like it just it, it doesn't totally. happen every year. I, and he, he he has a chance though. Sure, he does no, no, have no, a chance. And, but, but if he falls short of that, it's not a big deal. He's still a Canuck. No, he's still contributing, and he's only going to get better. So, yeah, I, I, I get that. I, st- I get those as well in my mentions, too, that people are like, you know, it's got to be four in a row. Who cares if it's four in a row? Like, if he gets there, great. Yeah. But if he falls just short, and he still has a really impressive season in which he contributes, and he's done that. And that was part of my thing with Horvat is, you know, they've got him this winger whose motor's always going and has been really good, and the production just hasn't been there for Bo, and again, there'll be dips in a season. I get all of that, but it just it surprised me for him to have two points in 10 games uh, where he wasn't lugging Louis Erickson around, uh, where we saw in the bubble what he was capable of. And I know that they've drawn matchups and those types of things, but Bo has shown that he's been able to, to push through and, and rise above that. So I assume that uh, he'll get back and maybe it just takes the one and he got the one last night. He's up to seven now. And of course, uh, this probably is the way the bet's going to be decided. You had him for 23. I had him down for 17. So the fact that he's at seven already, that's not good news for me. But uh, we shall see. Uh, how, uh, again. We're what, 19 games in now? Yeah. 19 games in though? So like, Basically a you third. know, we're... Yeah. yeah. So, Somewhere. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll okay. see. I'll take it. I'll take it. But again... I think it's. I think it's... I think it looks like it's trending to be the most interesting one. Let's let's put it that way. No, right? and I, like that one's trending to be interesting. Right, and and I'm glad now. Like when early in the season he got to five, he was the first guy in the NHL to get a five, and people were sending me all sorts of restaurant menus and stuff, like trying to get their digs in. I'm not getting that, <laughs> and that's good. I'm glad about that because I made the point too that the way the scoring in this thing goes, if 
you know, I have till 20, essentially. I have him at 17, you got him at 23. The clock doesn't start ticking until he gets to 21 goals. Right. Yes, that's true. So, yeah. So I'm going to hang, so my, we'll I'm gonna hang my hat on that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, fair, fair. He's got some, he's uh, got some road to run here. A couple of things I want to mention, uh, and Mike Russo has been all over everything Minnesota Wild, but they're one of the hardest hit teams in COVID, and Mike has reported extensively on that. Uh, also, on his Straight from the Source podcast this week, if you want to know a little bit more about the sort of goings-on and how teams are dealing with this and, and, and how you know they're doing all they can to prevent more spread, but obviously the Wild have been hammered, uh, check out... Uh, the latest edition of Straight from the Source at The Athletic, Mike Russo, discusses overcoming and the management of COVID-19 with Dr. Bill Morice. so you might want to check that one out. Also, celebrating Black History Month, Los Angeles Kings' Blake Bolden, the first black female NHL scout, is the guest with Craig Custance. So you can see that or find that at the full 60 uh, here at The Athletic as well. And, we let's, always, and oh, let's, yeah. let's, sorry, let's not leave this podcast without recommending that all our readers go check out Katie Strang's latest on the... Uh, on the Arizona Coyotes dumpster fire. Um, Still digesting all of that. (laughs) Yeah, there's a a great line in the piece in which Bill Armstrong appears to threaten. uh, This Coyotes general manager, Bill Armstrong, appears to threaten Katie Strang. And by appears, I mean threatens Katie Strang. And Katie Strang just basically publishes it, which is, by the way, so badass. And it got me thinking, putting on my old PR guy hat, right? How do you deal, if you're an NHL GM, and Katie Strang calls you and goes... Um, you know, I'm working on a story about what do you do, right? What's what's the what's the PR guy advice to you? Here's the PR guy advice: hang up the phone immediately. Hang up the phone immediately. <laughs> Call your PR guy. Do not deal with Katie Strang directly. Let your PR guy <laughs> do it. If you are going to comment in the story, do it via email with a prepared written statement put together by a media professional. Uh, Katie Strang is uh, is the reporter version of Tyler Toffoli playing the Canucks. Just just. You don't want to go there. Safety required. Put your goggles on and let the professionals handle it. My God, ruthless. Absolutely, no. It's a great <laughs> read. If, if if people, if you haven't read it, like check it out. It, it it you come away with way more questions than answers, and there are already a lot of questions about what's going on down in the desert with the Arizona Coyotes. Hey, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Hey, it's the Canucks and Flames again. How about that? Uh, oh, fourth man. straight time, the scene shifts Let's to go. the Saddledome. Yeah, the road has not been kind to the Vancouver Canucks, so we'll see what they can uh, do in Cowtown. And then uh, back home, Winnipeg and Edmonton. And uh, again, like, you know, We've talked about sort of where the season is, uh, you know, on the, the edge of the cliff. If they don't get wins against Edmonton and Winnipeg, I mean, that's their last chance, right? Like, those are the teams that they yeah. probably are going to be keeping company with when all is said and done. And uh, if they... Uh, no? If they can keep up, like, <laughs> they're going to need to trend a little differently to keep up with um, Edmonton True. and Winnipeg, Fair enough, right? But like, the... You know, anyway, yes, you're right. That Oilers, the, Oilers have some issues of their own, though. I, I'm not no, sure that no the Oilers question. are going to pull away from the Vancouver Canucks. Winnipeg, well, so still not sure. Yeah, no. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, we'll be back to do this later in the week as uh, we continue to move forward here in the new landscape that is uh, Vancouver Media. So we really appreciate everybody that's uh, checking us out for the first time or the second time 
I uh, hope you enjoyed the VanCast. Uh, we'll do it a couple of times every week here as the season moves along for Drancer. It's Jay Pat. Thanks, as always, for all of your support. You are listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. <laughs>